Welcome to Strategy Talk, where the editors of Strategy Page discuss current events with a splash of history. I'm Dan Masterson, host of Strategy Talk. With me today is the editor of Strategy Page, well-known military author and game designer, Jim Dunnigan. Also joining us is the associate editor of Strategy Page, columnist and author, Austin Bay. Welcome, Austin and Jim. I thought we would uh, talk a little bit about protests this morning. Uh, everyone knows about uh, Hong Kong and what's going on there, but there are literally protests going on ar- around the world. But um, uh, several in Africa, Zimbabwe, uh, Malawi, if I say that right, um, that, uh, and uh, e- even uh Russia has been experiencing some protests lately. Of course, we have our our uh, in the United States. We have our weekly protests in Portland, uh, but <laughs> but there's nothing that's been going on is uh, quite as long as the 25 week uh, worth of protest in um, Algeria. Jim, what what's going on there? Well, Algeria was one of the uh, Arab states that, uh, uh, how should I put it, avoided or thought they avoided the Arab Spring. Uh, Tunisia, right next door, is where the Arab Spring actually started, and it was one of its few success stories. They changed the government, they got a new government elected, uh, and it's still in business, um, which is something of a minor miracle. Uh, In Libya, (laughs) they overthrew their long-term dictator, and they're still fighting. In Egypt... They uh, they had they overthrew their long term you know democratic dictator Mubarak. Uh, they elected a new guy from the Muslim Brotherhood. The radicals in that party said, "Hey, we want a Sharia law. The hell with all this other stuff." And he was overthrown quickly. And they got another Mubarak, uh, you know, a kinder and gentler Mubarak, but basically another ex army officer who has uh, Mubarak like ideas. Uh, meantime, Algeria. Which well, had, hey, Jim, Jim, Syria, yeah. Syria was another. Well, yeah, I'm just, but I'm covering North Africa. Okay, just, okay. Just to contain it, yeah. There's, there's plenty. We can go to Arabia, Syria, but anyway, just in North Africa, uh, there was no unrest in Morocco. Morocco is a special case because they have no oil, but they do have a, a well, and they're a monarchy, but they do have a line of kings who have been remarkably efficient. Which just goes to show you, if if you've got a monarchy and you don't get a lot of turkeys in a row, uh, you can do pretty well. And Morocco has. Uh, They were one of the first Arab countries to cozy up to Israel, not counting Jordan, which couldn't help it. Um, And uh, they have basically gone out on their own, you know, done it their way. And uh, while they have have generated more than their share of, uh, you know, uh, uh, know, uh, recruits for uh, ISIL and Al-Qaeda and whatnot, most of them leave rather than try and, you know, uh, get something going in Morocco, which is very hostile. Now, Algeria, right next door, slightly different case. Algeria... Uh, was a uh, went through a bloody uh, civil war, not civil war, revolution against uh, French rule. The French had ruled the place for about a, a century. Uh, mainly, the French came in to uh, to eliminate the piracy. 
and various other you know uh, forms of banditry, which had been going on in the in the in, in North Africa for centuries, and it got worse after Islam came along, and it became a religious duty to go go north and and you know uh, uh, rape and pillage and enslave Christians. Um, the United States got caught up in that in 1812, you know. Uh, and um, anyway, the French finally said. The heck with it. Uh, we'll colonize them. Big mistake. Um, they they did colonize a lot of Algerians, but most of them they didn't. And it didn't take long before nationalists, you know, Algerian, uh, got most of the population up in arms, literally and figuratively. And the French were forced to leave. They could have stayed, but, you know, politicians or people back in France said, hey, wait a minute. You know, we went through World War II. We just had this mess in, 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 China, in Indochina with Vietnam. You know, enough is enough. And out they went. Uh, the FLN party, which is still in existence... Uh, then won elections, and they kept running and winning elections, sort of like the PRI in Mexico. Uh, they became incredibly corrupt, but because they had oil wealth, relatively more than Mexico has, uh, they managed to buy their way out. Now, the special thing about uh, Algeria was uh, the Algerians did want free elections. I don't know if they knew about PRI, but they did know, hey, look, the FLN... You know, you you were good guys the first couple of terms, but you know you're, you're basically you know blocking everybody out, which is the usual drill for these you know the dictatorships uh, pretending to be uh, democracies. Um, and so finally, they allowed free elections in uh, in 1990, and <laughs> the Islamic parties not all of whom were into Islamic terrorism. Most of them were just Muslim Brotherhood grade, but you know how the drill goes. Uh, they, they made the boldest promises. Uh, they had the best organization at the mosque level, and they got elected. And the generals looked at this and said, mm, this is not going to work. And they basically uh, canceled the election, canceled, you know, refused to accept the results. The Muslim parties, the Muslim coalition thought they had a mandate and a majority, and they went to war. A couple, about 300,000 dead Algerians later, they were defeated by the end of the 1990s. And that basically immunized uh, the vast majority of Algerians against Islamic uh, radicalism, well, to date, I mean, how much longer it'll last, it's hard to tell, uh, because it, it keeps on coming back in Islamic history. Uh, but right now, the, uh, the basically the Algerians, especially the young and the unemployed, um, were uh, unable to get into France in large numbers, uh, and they were unable to get reforms in Algeria. And uh, they didn't want another civil war like their parents had gone through in the 1990s, uh, but they wanted change. And they got their opportunity when the current FLN, you know, president, uh, Bouteflika, uh, who's been in power for about over 20 years, um, he had a stroke in 2013, two years after the Arab Spring. Now, at first, his, his, the government uh, hushed it up. Oh, he was ill. He had to go to France or, or Switzerland, whatever, uh, to, for treatment. But people began to notice he was no longer on TV. He was no longer giving speeches or public appearances. And it turns out he's 82 right now. Um, he was in bad shape. Uh, and the FLM was trying to figure out, well, how do we sort this out? Now, at the same time that Bouteflika was having uh, you know, health problems, the FLN was having 
political problems. I mean, you know, uh, how should I put it? They were divided. Uh, a lot of the, the army people, the army officers, who had basically uh, run the counterterrorism campaign during the 1990s and done it successfully, they basically were now in charge of the army, uh, most parts of the army, army intelligence, national intelligence, national police, or what have you. They had stayed plugged into what... Um, Algerians were thinking. I mean, that's one way they won the war against the the uh, the Islamists, who basically had a lot of fanatics going for them. But they also had a lot of uh, you know large uh, scale, widespread discontent. And uh, there was a large faction in the military, in the security services, military and police, who believed that there had to be some fundamental changes in order for the government, the FLN or Algeria, to survive. And so. Uh, <laughs> year by year, uh, especially starting after Bouteflika had his stroke and, and his minions uh, began acting in his stead, his younger brother, uh, some, a few uh, senior uh, army people who uh, agreed with the, uh, the, how should I put it, the old school, uh, show no ground, uh, give no mercy, um, ignore the people, uh, they, he started dismissing. You know, old timers. Now, this was something like, you know, these are the people who were hailed as heroes for over a, for over a decade, and now they were being dismissed as suspects. Now, a lot of people figured it out. Again, we can thank the internet that uh, they don't have state-controlled media per se in Algeria, but the state can throw its weight around. Well, that doesn't work anymore. Uh, a lot of young Algerians were also in touch with their, you know, uh, compatriots in uh, in. In France, uh, where many families have, you know, cousins or, or uncles or whatever, uh, they have kin over there, and they can communicate more very easily by the internet or with cell phones. Uh, and they basically got uh, a, a more accurate picture of what was happening in Algeria from Algerians outside of Algeria. Um, so they saw that they were being played, or they people were trying to play them, and they got, and basically they got more and more steamed, angry, and finally, when when Bouteflika, incapacitated, you know, barely able to mumble his way through a speech, which he tried to a couple of times, uh, said, "All right, I'll 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 stand for election one more time." In other words, he was going to get reelected, whether he was giving speeches or not. Uh, one more five-year term. Because, hey, blah, blah, blah. Uh, what he didn't say, but everybody understood, was that his, his cronies were still trying to figure out a way how to replace them without doing any damage to the FLN and all the corruption they were getting rich off. Uh, everybody had figured this out by now. Uh, there was division inside the government as to how to deal with it. Uh, the, the reformers were being dismissed. Some of them sent to jail. Um, and... Uh, so finally, in February, uh, the demonstrations began, as Dan pointed out. They've been going on for 26 weeks in a row now. Uh, and uh, Selah, the, 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 there were two people running the government uh, in, in place of the incapacitated uh, uh, President Bouteflika. One was his younger brother, who was not really an, a, a, a politician, but he was organized. Uh, and he basically had been like the, the personal assistant for his older brother, but he met, nobody seriously expected him to replace him. But there was another, the head of the army, a General Selah, who was an okay guy, but he was not really the same as the reformer 
uh, reformist generals that he had played a uh, part in dismissing. Um, and he basically tried to, how should I put it, uh, keep the FLN in power while allowing elections. I mean, he was trying to do magic, uh, things that really couldn't be done. And basically, a lot of Algerians called him out on it. Uh, now, nobody is giving an inch so far. Uh, they, as we explained in strategy page, the army, I mean, the, the again, the intelligence services, they still, you know, monitor the chatter, the pulse of the people. Uh, and they realized that uh, almost all the enlisted men, the troops, um, who are not all conscripts. I mean, a lot of them, a lot of people in the Algerian military. It's a good, it's a good job, honorable job, so to speak, given how well the army did in the nineties. Um, but there is still conscription uh, to fill the ranks, and uh, most of them are for the reformers. So if you ask them to fire on people they agree with, you know how that ends. Not well for the government. But they found the uh, uh, Sela also found out that a lot of the junior officers and more and more of the mid-ranking. As you know, as as had many senior generals were also in favor of the basically the Democrats in the streets, um, and uh, the only thing that is keeping the demonstrations going for so long is the fact that Algeria has developed a way for people to keep negotiating. Now they call each other names, and there is a lot of how should I put it, manipulation going on. Uh, but that's why they're in trouble in the first place. But a lot of people, again, are, are adverse, adverse to another civil war uh, because even the kids, you know, remember, they, they, everybody lost somebody. Um, and uh, they're also, you know, very uh, hostile to Islamic uh, radicalism because they see what's happening in Syria, in, next door in Libya, uh, uh, they saw what happened in Tunisia, which even though it's kept going, they're constantly hassled in, in Tunisia uh, with Islamic terrorists. But then again, Tunisia didn't go through that inoculation procedure in the 1990s, which is a tough way you know, to, to, uh, to educate the population about the, 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 the downside of uh, Islamic radicalism. Um, so, you know, the, basically in North Africa, you have a population that is less, how should I put it, uh, less prone to accept, you know, a, a, a Islamic radical type government. Now, Libya was something of an exception, but what you're seeing right now is the... Um, uh, the the uh, the 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 how should I put it the Hift, General Hiftar's you know uh, uh, Libyan National Army which he literally started from scratch you know in in 2014 as an anti-Islamist uh, you know the tribes in the eastern uh, Libya where he was uh, was uh, they really wanted to get rid of you know Al Qaeda and this group and that group uh, they'd had it you know they got a dose of that and they they wanted to get rid of it and so. Methodically, he was a he was a former uh, general in uh, for um, uh, Qaddafi, who basically got you know run out uh, with the help of the CIA um, uh, in the uh, late 1980s, early 1990s. He's actually a naturalized American citizen, uh, but he's seen democracy up front. He knows it warps and all, and he basically had a rapport with the you know the uh, with still with Libyans. And he basically knows how to run a professional military campaign. So he keeps his casualties down. He's very systematic. He's very good at choosing subordinates. Uh, he knows how to wheel and deal politically. 
and he is now trying to take uh, Tripoli, the capital, which is one of the last two coastal cities that he does not control. He controls all the oil. He controls all the oil export facilities. The U.N. Uh, still does not recognize him uh, because he's, he's, he's been buddies with Russia. He's been buddies. Well, he's had got all the wrong friends. Uh, the Americans back him now. Um, and the only thing that's keeping Tripoli in the hands of the, the you know, the failed uh, U.N.-sponsored government is Turkey, of all things. Uh, Turkey is basically uh, – <coughs> Turkey is, is pro – Islamic Brotherhood, and anybody who is basically uh, in favor of the Islamic Brotherhood, like a lot of the, the militias in, in Tripoli and Misrata to the east, the two major cities where uh, the, uh, the, you know, the uh, Libyan National Army does not control, uh, they will back. That's a whole other story, which Austin is more of an expert on than I am. But anyway, Algeria is trying to work it out. That's the bottom line. Uh, that's the headline which, of course, doesn't appear in media anywhere, uh, the Algerians will probably work it out because basically you have a situation where the majority of your armed, you know, your security forces will not fire on the people. And if you try and force them to do it, you know, I mean, there are some units possibly that they could get to do it, but that just triggers a bloodbath, uh, which Algerians, while they want to avoid it, uh, they will defend themselves. I mean, they've been pretty brutal against the remaining Islamic terrorists. There was a small cell of ISIL operational. Uh, there were occasional outbreaks of al-Qaeda over the last, you know, uh, 10 years. But they've been steadily diminishing over the years, and they get no mercy when they come up against the security forces. Cell phones are their biggest, uh, how should I put it, uh, enemy, because as more people in rural areas where they, they still hide out, the mountains along the, the, the eastern coast, uh, uh, people can just quietly, you know, call the, the, the gendarmes, as it were, the army outpost, and say, hey, I saw such and such, click, uh, you know, here. And uh, that's made it almost impossible uh, for them to reestablish themselves. So Algeria is seemingly a basket case, but they're not. Uh, they're still talking. They're still negotiating. Uh, the you know the, the general sailor is at this point. A lot of people are saying he's looking for a graceful way out. Uh, the FLN uh, one positive positive uh, indicator was the FLN. That's the party of Bouteflika. They are still around. Uh, they're not going. They're not. They know they're not going to win in a uh, in a fair election, uh, but. They are trying to, uh, of, of all things, they're trying to unite with um, uh, Islamic parties. Now, there are Islamic parties, there are still Islamic parties. You were allowed to have an Islamic party after the 1990s as long as you, uh, you know, convinced the security forces that you were not harboring Islamic terrorists or anybody who's inclined in that direction. And they basically, you know, the government understood, we can't wipe this out entirely. You know, we're an Islamic country. We're stuck with that, even though the Berbers are trying to go back to Christianity. Um, the, um, the Berbers are a whole other story, which read strategy page. Uh, the, um, uh, the, uh, the people in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the political parties realize they're going to have to work it out in parliament. 
not on a battlefield. And so that's why FLN still exists. In other words, they've learned that you've got to compromise. Compromise is messy. I mean, as Churchill pointed out, democracy is the worst form of government except for all the, all the others. And the Algerians have gone through a lot of the others. And they say, okay, we've got to do it the dirty way, which means we've got to talk our way out of this, negotiate our way out of this, because we're sure as hell not going to try and fight our way out of it again. Austin, uh, what's your take on all of this? Jim's given a a, a detailed and a both done a a good job with both the line out the general issues and also some of the details and the and the key players. Uh, Jim, correct me on this, but wasn't at at one time Salah uh, earlier this year? Promising that there were going to be elections in July, and that. Well, yeah, all right. Good point. It didn't happen. It didn't well, happen. Well, no, they they had they have a constitution, which, if the president resigned or whatever, whatever, you know, the uh, they they automatically it automatically triggered a process where somebody next in line became interim president, and in six months right. they had to have elections. But the Democrats, the majority of Algerians, realized that. The uh, the FLN, like the PRI, you know, for a long time in Mexico and, and in other countries, uh, had suppressed, like, uh, you know, had suppressed the other parties to the point where they needed more time and freedom uh, to organize parties and basically, you know, have a legitimate uh, campaign. Uh, and and that's what they're that's what they're basically ha- haggling over now. Well, uh, it, it, it's it's been one of the the the, the fact that the National Liberation Front, the FLN, uh, did what you just described. In other words, it's hobbled all the other parties. Uh, did allow the, the the armed Islamic group of the 1990s was totally destroyed. But as you said, uh, Islamism as a in in a political. Uh, political Islamists were still uh, uh, excellent. And you have had smaller, uh, quote-unquote, fringe pro-democracy parties. But the FLN uh, really delegitimized or strangled in both uh, all uh, uh, opposition parties. So you had a a one-party state. Algeria, and you you pointed out talking about the uh, modern communications, the fact they've got uh, oil, and also their relationship with with France. Algeria really, uh, it's one of the funny things after the its uh, revolution and in, uh, and fight for independence uh, from France, de- decolonization, uh, uh, admires France, and uh, it's. It has uh, had an impact on on even in, even in the FLN. Sometimes you would see in uh, Arab uh, papers talking about Franco Algerians, and they didn't mean the descendants of French Algerians. Talking about the uh, Algerian elites, Algerian military that that uh, ad- admired the French. Well, it's not just the Algerian military and Algerian. Uh, elites uh, that has a middle class. Uh, other Algerians a- admire the French system. So even though you'd had a one-party state run by the revolutionaries and then the second generation of the rev- uh, revolutionaries, you had 
information about what a democracy is like. And immigration, as you said, uh, you know, they're, all their cousins or family members uh, living uh, in, in southern France, in some cases in, uh, in northern France, too, in Paris. And this is, this is one of the, uh, of the strengths, too, that Tunisia had. It was remarked on in, in, in Tunisia that you, know, you uh, if you could get to it, not one not wasn't just in Tunis, but throughout that throughout that country is you know if we had some freedom and <laughs> some freedom and, and an honest judiciary and could get rid of our corrupt elite some freedom honest judiciary get rid of our corrupt elite we'd be making money because we would have. Tourists down here, and usually they would say tourists from Europe, tourists from France or Italy is what is what the uh, Tunisians uh, uh, would say. Part of that had to do again with their long-term contact with the French, because uh, Tunisia was a French colony as well, just like uh, Algeria. Uh, that's that's one thing in play here that I think Dan is 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 good. And it, it's one of the reasons is when Jim says, well, I hadn't blown up yet, hadn't gotten out of line yet. And, gee, you start looking through the military. We know the lower ranks and younger officers are pro-democracy. Well, there are a number of generals that are, too. What's that like? Kind of like Tunisia. That was one reason that Tunisia managed to, uh, to pull, uh, pull it off is that they had a more professional uh, military and some of their senior officers uh, have the same kind of attitudes that you see the reformist generals. A lot of them got fired. Uh, they haven't gone away. They still have uh, relationships uh, with the armed forces and with their their their, their former troops. So again, uh, for reasons of hey, we kicked the colonialists out, but. Gee, we like the colonialists, the former colonialists. Uh, that's one of the moderating forces I see at work here in Algeria. Now, Jim said the Berbers are a whole nother story, and he also mentioned the re-Christianization movement among the Berbers. I don't know what the, uh, off the top of my head, what the percentage of Christians is. Uh, in Algeria, I think it's three or four percent officially. They refuse to check it in the census. That's how scared they are. I, I, I know. I know that. That's. I'm glad you brought that up. It's sus suspicious. And I, I, I read this. This isn't news. This is 15, 20 years old. Suspicion is, is that it's uh, maybe a little bit more like Egypt, where at least 10 or 15 percent of the population is Christian, Copts. Coptic Church, meaning the Egyptian uh, Christian, maybe it maybe it's not a uh, ten percent, but it's it's it approaches it, and some of that has to do with the fact that when the uh, Muslim Arab armies invaded uh, and ran across North Africa, they ran down the coast. They really didn't take control. Of the uh, desert, or uh, uh, or and and they couldn't. They went all the way to uh, to uh, uh, Morocco and then uh, crossed uh, to uh, Gibraltar. Uh, they they didn't Islamize uh, beyond 
the coastline. And who is out in the desert? The Berbers. Well, the Berbers were still on the coastline. That's another thing particularly peculiar in some ways about Algeria is that even even among the Arab speakers, who were the majority of the of the country, and some of them identify as Arabs, ethnically they're Berbers, uh, and Berbers are, as uh, Jim pointed out in a in a in a recent post, are ethnically uh, <coughs> cousins of uh, Egyptians of the early. Early Egyptians, they're native North Africans, and in the case of Libya and Algeria, also coming over somewhat into Morocco and uh, with a Touareg in in Mali, they are still resisting the Arab invasion, and it makes for. Uh, in some, in some ways, I'm not. I'm not saying that this adds a, a peculiar danger to uh, Algeria, no more than it has in Libya. But that Berber identity has 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 never disappeared. The Berbers are highly suspicious of Islamic radicals. That was another uh, element of uh, of the re- resistance to the armed Islamic group, uh, and and which was a. Uh, Al Qaeda like, uh, more like uh, the Islamic State in some ways, because they intended to take control of uh, uh, of Algeria. And they, anyway, to get back to the Berber identity, yes, there is an active group among uh, Algerian Berbers to rechristianize, and it is it's making a political statement, and it's making an ethnic statement. One of the things that has also appeared, reappeared in the, uh, did you say it's 25, 26 weeks now, Dan, of, uh, of, of constant, uh, constant demonstrations. It's, you know, six yeah. months plus, uh, is, is Berbers, uh, waving the, uh, uh, a Berber flag and, uh, the, also the fragmented Berber party. I mean, the name of it is, uh, escaping me. There is a, it's a, small, tiny faction, uh, it's, uh, uh, some of them, uh, favor independence. Again, it's a small, uh, a small number, but it's an, it is an interesting factor, particularly, uh, in, Al- in Algeria. And they definitely are pro-democratic. It's one of the things that goes through the, uh, the, the through the, uh, uh, throughout the population, which is, is that, uh, they're, Admiration, not necessarily directly for the French, but for democracy, because we want to get a break in our own country. And the only way we're going to do that is, is if we have a democratic polity. So uh, I'm uh, uh, my, my uh, you didn't ask me if I was hopeful, Dan. But the thing is, though, is I see the way the military is responding in this, and it's very similar to Tunisia. Well, it sounds like it's uh, a lot more hopeful than what's uh, brewing on the border there of Hong Kong right now. That's for sure. Well, yeah. you mean the empire, uh, the empire tends to strike back. But you know, it's just interesting you mentioned China. China is a is a very different situation because they've been dealing with Berbers, so to speak, <laughs> their their version of Berbers for thousands of years, and 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 that's gone one of two ways: either they absorb them. Um, because if you look at the DNA test, it's showing there's a lot of 
groups that are now considered Han Chinese, or they they basically run away. And so the periphery of China is basically full of these people who didn't want to be part of the empire. Now, the problem with Hong Kong is those are economic you know, refugees, as it were, and they are basically sitting on a gold mine. So it's more about money than anything else. You know, we did an update. I did an update on Thailand today, and they are basically uh, worried about Hong Kong because they understand that, you know, it's the fifth largest stock exchange in the world, just in Hong Kong alone. They have their own currency. Um, and uh, as as we pointed out in, in our last uh, podcast about uh, Hong Kong, they are a basically a special uh, outlet to the, the rest of the world for China, China itself. Uh, they're going to take a big haircut, as they say on Wall Street, uh, if they crack down, if they break Hong Kong, when if they try and reassert uh, their authority by force. And a lot of Hong Kongers are basically ready to just leave, you know, go to Singapore, you know, turn Los Angeles into another Hong Kong, whatever. Uh, whereas in places like, you know, uh, North Africa, where there's oil, uh, you still have, you know, you still have an ethnic situation. The thing is that hasn't been mentioned, I think, is that the majority of people in North Africa are Berbers. Ethnically, due to DNA tests, they're, they're Berber with a lot of uh, European blood because of all the slaving they've been they've been doing for centuries. I mean, that was always all for a long time a big business. Um, it basically made what went, went one way. I mean, they mostly went you know from Europe uh, to to North Africa, um, and uh, so they don't have and and majority of people in in Algeria are basically you know genetically. Uh, Berbers, but a lot of them are Arabized, but uh, a lot of those who are Arabized understand that, you know, they could easily, you know, switch back, and the Berbers are trying to exploit that. They exploit the fact that that we are all Berbers, whether you think you're Arabs or not, you're a Berber. In fact, another little interesting historical fact, one of the Roman Empire emperors was a Berber. I mean, the Berber North Africa was part of the Roman Empire for over three centuries. Um, a pope was one. At least one uh, pharaoh was a was a Berber. They did come out successfully come out of the Libyan desert and then found at least one dynasty. Uh, you had a number of uh, prominent, uh, you know, Catholic uh, theologians, theologians and saints and what have you. Saint Augustine, for example, he was a Berber. Um, so the Berbers have been very successful when they were basically cut loose, and that's all they want. They want their language to be uh, recognized. As Austin pointed out, they're not big on independence. They're not like the Kurds. They got no illusions about you know forming a Berber empire because uh, they saw how successful the, the Arabs were with that. They understand that the different Berber groups are nationalistically different. They have different dialects and what have you, but they do want to maintain their Berber heritage, their Berber, their Berber culture, which has, for example, English speakers, they're all over the world, and the majority of them are in, are in India. So, I mean, they, that just having the same language and a lot of customs in, in common, you know, doesn't make you, uh, you know, uh, you know one united people. Uh, and the Berbers long, long ago recognized that. So, you know, what they're asking for is not unreasonable. Um, in fact, the only thing that's unreasonable uh, in North Africa, and that's, this is why the Berbers are, 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 are converting to Christianity, is they recognize Islam is a big problem because Islam intertwines, you know, church and state. 
Uh, you, you, it's in their scripture, whereas the Christianity deliberately separates it. Um, and that is a, that is an important difference, which the Berbers have learned the hard way. Uh, as long as you have uh, a lot of Muslims in your country, you're going to have a radical faction develop, which is going to basically start in the round of bloodshed. It's, like I say, it's been going on dozens and dozens of times over the last 1,200 years, uh, and nobody's found a way to stop it except to go back to old-time religions, whether it's the, you know, uh, what do you call it, the first, uh, the, uh, the fire gods uh, in, in, in Iran uh, or Christianity in much in, 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 in North Africa uh, and of course that's one reason why Islam uh, you know uh, says that anybody converting from Islam to another religion is subject to the death penalty that's worse than heresy uh, and in many Arab uh, Muslim countries it's actually carried out either uh, you know officially or by lynching uh, so you have a real fundamental problem that the Berbers are simply trying to fix for themselves. Uh, and a lot more of people in North Africa, you know, Muslims in North Africa, are realizing that, yeah, we have to come up with some kind of fix. And so this might be it. Just tolerate the, the large ethnic minorities, you know, like the Turks are opposing in, with their Kurds. Um, and, you know, let's move forward. Uh, because why add more problems to the problems we already have with the religion that 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 constantly wants to unite you know church and state and Jim, and, and nurture that nobody nobody really wants even in, in the Islamic world. Jim, I got, I want to uh, uh, I got a question for you. If they get that census out and they did ask the question of what religion are you and we got honest answers in Algeria what how, what what percentage of the country do you think would identify as Christian could be as high as 10 in other words if yeah. the government controlled the uh, the horrendous you know yeah. how should I put it uh, opposition from the Islamic parties you know even the legal Islamic parties uh, a lot of uh, a lot of them would do it I mean that's why you in Iran in the uh, you know in, in the in the round of demonstrations that have been going on since 2017 uh, you know you have people out there saying you know uh, you know we want to we want to we want to get get away from Islam there are, there are plenty of options. No, you know, I know. I know I, that's going and, on. I and, just, and and in the old on the old religion, which names you know, I got a brain fart. But I anyway, think, but you were after Medeanism, I think, in Iran. Is what so, so arrest, that, so that's what, that's, I but think anyway. that's what you were after. Anyway, but, they, they, the Iranians still practice a lot of the customs. Yeah. They just can't worship their that particular god anymore. Well, the, a, Yazidis had a, had a fi, have a fire angel too, which goes back to the pre-Islamic. Uh, yeah, they may. There's a lot of small religions like that. That which barely survive in the Middle East. Uh, that's why they always live up in inaccessible in, in hills. But now, now you got helicopters. But anyway, I, I was going to say that I think in Algeria that, that, that and I, I think I, I think I mentioned that ten percent up to ten percent too. It might might be a little higher, but it's one of those questions that a lot of people aren't going to want to answer for the reason you said because they open themselves to intimidation by Islamic radicals. So. Uh, anyway, well, that's probably where we need to end it. We're up against our time, and uh, it's been an interesting conversation today. And uh, we'll have many more. We'll see you next time. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. -bye.